Little pig, little pig. Let me in. Well, back at it again, boys. Let your mind peel away the mysteries of the world. That's right. I'm talking deep. Frazzle drip deep. This is Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies Podcast. Oh, by the way, my balls is hot. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Big Country, and on the other end of the microphone, as always, your other host for the evening, Boya. Hello, hello. We are missing and on tonight's episode. Missing Chris. Tonight. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we're missing Chris. Yeah, yeah. we do have, a th- um, of course, our third host. Um, he had some prior engagements, but by the time you get to listen to this episode, he will be on the episode that we record tomorrow night with another guest. So um, on this show, we have a very special guest. I'm so excited to talk to you, man. This yes, guy, sir. we we came across his Instagram and I've never seen anybody do this stuff with knives. Yeah. <laughs> and we have uh kind of our own interest in in what you do, sir, and um boy and I are both jujitsu practitioners. And so on the show tonight we have Mr. Larry the bearded black cowboy. Sir, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Hey, man, it's such such a blessing and a humbling, humbling blessing to be with y'all, man. Right on for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, yeah. man. Yeah, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule for uh, coming on the show. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, man, I, I mentioned it just a second ago, but as I was, we're looking through your Instagram and we found you and 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 you threw a knife like around the other side of a wall. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, holy Jesus, what is happening right now? You know, some people, you know, I got a little gray in my beard, so I'm I'm from the day and age and generation of the matrix man so that was yeah that was kind of like the matrix throw you know I tell <laughs> people all the time that you know hollywood will show you this bs about how to curve a bullet a bullet is just going to go straight but i could definitely teach you how to curve your knife man yeah we've seen it <laughs> man <laughs> that's right no trick photography that was Absolutely. just a left hand and a, and a knife throw man not only do you throw <laughs> knives though i've seen you throw all kinds of stuff that sticks into wood and people. And, and, uh, I saw you, you had a kid throwing scissors, throwing a butter knife, throwing all kinds of things at targets. That stuff was wild, man. Well, you know, man, if people are willing to learn, God is, God saved me from birth control and a fight, a deadly fight in the alley one night, man, to teach people how not to die. So if people are willing to learn, I'm definitely willing to teach. All you need is a willing subject, man, and you could teach them how to throw anything with an edge or a point. It doesn't yeah. matter what it is. And and you know, when you see things sticking wood or seeing me throw stuff, butter knives through metal and stuff like that, the human body is softer than all of that. So we can really dismantle the human body if we need to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Larry, you teach yet, and I'm going to show this on screen. You won't be able to see it, but our, our listeners will be able to see it when this episode posts here. But you teach at 3D Martial Arts and Tactical Defense, um, located in, in, in Whitesboro, Texas, if I'm saying that correct? Yeah, Whitesboro, Texas. That's North Texas. My wife and I, it's a family business. My wife and I are owners of 3D Martial Arts and, and Tactical Defense. Yes, sir. So, so how did you get involved with what you do? Did it has it always been something you've had an interest in, or or what's your background? Well, you know, man. Ever since my dad 
and 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 God rest their soul, man. Cheers, pops. Um, hey, hey I'll drink soul, to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Toss one up for my dad. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but man, my dad passed away uh, April fifteenth at eight thirty nine a.m. just a few months ago, man. But ever oh, wow. since my dad taught me how to throw a punch, um, it was like your first love. It was like Mm-hmm. You know, your first kiss, your first puppy love, man. I absolutely fell in love with fighting and surviving and the art of fighting and surviving, man. So I've been throwing punches, man, for as long as I can remember. I've been involved in the art, you know, since I was six years old, man. I mean, over 40 some years involved in it. I've been trained by some of the best martial arts and fighters in the world and I've had the esteemed opportunity to train some of the best fighters, martial artists, shooters, tactical guys in the world, man. But there was one night um, in 1993 after I was guarding Pope John Paul II, I had to go to work uh, one night and I had to fight for my life. Um, and and this, this gentleman, and I'll keep his name uh, out of it, but you know, he's serving life in prison right now. Um, but this gentleman, he put everything I had to the test. Um, so all of my trainers, my hat goes off to him, including my dad. But this dude that was trying to kill me, um, he had two chances to engage or disengage. He was trying to kill me. He was trying to take my life. He did not disengage. Uh, and that man stabbed me six times, man. And he oh, put wow. everything I had to the test. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He became my best yeah. trainer in the world, man. And I'm so thankful. It, it sounds crazy, but I'm so thankful we met. Um, yeah, because mm-hmm. it proved the art of teaching people how not to die. It proved everything that I'm about, man. So, uh, you know, I'm a former Denver police officer. I retired from the Metro SWAT and K9 team in, in Denver. Um, so yes, you know, I back and support uh, law enforcement as long as Absolutely. they do uh, things right, man. There are some that just don't do things right, of course, but that's that's everywhere. But I yeah. absolutely back them because I'm from that bloodline. I'm also from yeah. the hood. So I got, you know, the best <laughs> of both worlds and the worst of both worlds. I've seen it and I mm-hmm. understand both. Um, but man, I've been fighting, teaching, training, uh, and surviving my whole life. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow, man. Uh, let's double uh, back. You said you were guarding the Pope. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that <was> <laughs> I want to make sure. Yeah, thanks, for, right thanks, for, thanks for bringing that up. Cause I was like, Oh, boy, has got it. Never mind. Never mind. Man, you kind of oh just God slid God. by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, funny thing about um, Pope John Paul II, um, I was selected uh, one out of 12 uh, SWAT officers to be a part of the first and second line of defense in terms of guarding the Pope. Of course, Vatican security was first line. Um, and then we were second line of defense. This was in 1993 during World Youth Day. It was the first time uh, the Pope was here in the Americas. And he happened to be having World Youth Day where hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of people descended upon Denver to see uh, the Pope and, you know, get their blessing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was one of 12, man, handpicked wow. by uh, wow. John Paul um, II, man, to, to guard. It was a blessed time. I'm probably one of only you know, three people in the U.S. that got to drive the Pope mobile. 
Oh, you know, wow. I had to test it out for evasive maneuvers, man. But you know, the funny thing wow. about the Pope, can I tell the story? We got a time? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> funny thing about the Pope, man, when we figured out who would be guarding, right? Um, there's 12 of us. So we had a bet, man. We had a bet on what type of shoes the Pope wears, right? <laughs> First of all, how sacrilegious can you get betting on the Pope, right? <laughs> but the, the amount got up to about $500 when I jumped in. First of all, you know, I was, this was about my third year, you know, in law enforcement. Uh, I just happened to be on a specialized unit. Again, God charted my course a long time ago, man. So I was very fortunate to be on a specialized unit like the SWAT team that early in my career. Um, but it got up to about $500 and I wasn't making that hardly that much every two weeks working full time, man. So yeah, I was yeah. like, I bet. So I bet that he, he wore moccasins. I figured he had to walk, you know, he had to stand up and do all this a, a whole bunch. So I figured he needed something soft. <laughs> moccasins, right, so, right. So here we are. The Pope lands at the old uh, Mile High Stadium and McNichols Sports Arena, you know, which is now in Vesco Field, the Pepsi Center. Mm -hmm. um, so he lands, you know, Black Huey lands, Pope Mobile comes out, and here's here's the Pope coming down the receiving line. Here's those big old, you know, tough SWAT officers, right? I mean, these guys were, were huge, Jamie Smith and all these guys. <laughs> I'm the 12th one standing next to my sergeant. As the Pope was coming down the line, he's shaking the guy's hand, um, and they're kissing his ring, man. They're like, I mean, bowing down, kissing his ring. I noticed my sergeant. I said, hey, man, um, what is he doing to people? Because they started crying, man. These big SWAT officers, they start crying. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, hey, uh, what is he doing to people? And do I have to kiss his ring? Because if I do, I'm out of here. I'm not into that, bro. I'm back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So he gets to me, man. Here he is. I have Pope John Paul II in front of me. He tells me, Officer Stevenson step out. stepped out. I shook this man's hand. He had the hardest, warmest handshake I've ever experienced in my life. Um, so here right. I am, this little old, you know, I'm bald head now by choice. I've been cutting my hair since 1990. Everybody wants to be like Respect, Mike, respect. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but here I am thinking of myself still as this little old nappy head boy from the hood, man. And I got Pope John Paul II in front of me and in my hands. And I can ask him anything in the world, fellas. What you think I asked him? What kind of shoes you got? Yeah. Hey, Five hundred dollars, bro. Come on, man. I pulled it, man. You know, you know. If you haven't noticed, I'm black, man. So anyway, no sneaking by us, man. Brothers, we pull you in and we give you the bro hug, right? So I pulled the bed, man, and I I whispered in his ear today, "What type of shoes you got?" <laughs> I can feel my sergeant's eyes burning in the back of my neck. Like, oh, God, I'm going to get fired and stuff. And But he got into it. Pope got into it. He raised up his gown. His gown had like a big old bike chain around it because it had to drag, you know, and okay. stay down. So it was really heavy. So he lifted it up, and he had on penny loafers, maroon penny uh, man. Uh, man, I done lost a bet. I'm going to get a demotion fired. I don't know what's going on. So I got back in line. Man. And here's the Pope. I got back in line. And the Pope goes, Officer Stevenson, step back out. I'm like, uh-oh, I'm really in trouble. The Pope wants me to step out. So I step back out. And um, 
He goes, you missed it. Look again. So I, he held up his, his gown again. I looked, and he kind of wriggled his foot. I was like, this dude got some soul in him, too, right? <laughs> and he had a penny in it. I was like, oh, he cool, too, right? So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I stepped that's back. awesome. And then, here you go. He told me to step out. Again. He said, Officer Stevenson, step back out. I stepped back out. He goes, you were selected, one, not only um, to save my life if you need to. You were selected for your physical prowess, yes. But also, you were selected because out of 700 questions that we asked you, you have a photogenic memory, and you remembered all 700, like you were reading a book. Damn. So we know that you can notice things that other people can't notice. And I said, well, yes, I do. I've been proven to have a photogenic memory. He said, well, why'd you miss it? I was like, eh? I'm, I'm like, you know, oh, right now, no. young folks would say, oh, the Pope just threw shade on you. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes, look again. I look, and I lost all the dignity I had. I lost all the professionalism because I really looked this time. I looked, and I, you know, us brothers, man, black folks, we, when we excited, our voice gets high. Yes, sir. So when I looked, I was like, oh! (laughs) He had a penny in there, and this is exactly what I said. I said, oh! I said, you ain't even dead and got your face on money. (laughs) He had had a Vatican penny with his face on That's That's what he man. So it was a blessing, man. It was fun. I carved him for three and a half days, man. It It was really a blessing. That's cool, man. What a story to have and, and to be able to tell that, you know? Uh, <laughs> Way cool. It, it's cool. It's, it's funny. But it's it's the course my dad, man, my dad charted for me, man. My, 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 my father, Pops, man, my Superman, he charted that course. He set me and my friends down in the basement during my going away party. I was supposed to go to Cheney University in Pennsylvania, all black college. Right, I got. I had scholarships to all the historical black colleges on U.S. soil. Me too. Right? Me too. Yeah. See? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dad, uh, the night before I was supposed to catch a plane in the morning to Pennsylvania, my dad was on the phone with some folks in Nebraska. He comes down to the going away party late, and he has a crimson and white cake. And I'm looking. I'm like, Dad, not only are you late, but you brought the wrong cake because Cheney's colors were blue and gray. He goes, sit down, shut up, and let me talk to you. My dad's like, E.F. Hutton, bro. When he says something, you're going to listen, right? Yeah. So here go my boys. they like, man, we're going to be another hour listening at your dad, Mr. Martin Luther Stevens, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, he said, listen, I just got off the phone with the people in Hastings, Nebraska. They gave you a two-year athletic, one-year academic, and one-year leadership scholarship. All you got to do is pay for laundry. So you're going to Nebraska on the train tomorrow. I was like, huh? No, I'm not. I'm going to Pennsylvania, bro. Brother, brother, right? Like, <laughs> nah, you're going to a predominantly white college in Nebraska on the train tomorrow. And here's what he said. He said, your world, son, is going to be bigger than black. You're going to be able to talk to people high in office or somebody butt naked, drunk, homeless, sleeping up under a bridge and everybody in between. You going to Nebraska. I got my butt on that train and went to Nebraska. It was the best decision my daddy ever made for me. That's awesome, man. Wow. Yeah, it <clears> came wow, true. man. It came true. Man. I was guarding 
uh, regarding the Pope. Uh, Ronald Reagan dedicated the, the radio station in, in Nebraska. His voice was the first one you heard on the radio station. And the president of the United States of America handed me the mic next. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> man. Wow. So your dad crazy. made the right that choice then, awesome. huh? Yeah, crazy, so, man. It's crazy. Man. It's Boy, awesome. why is this dude on our show? What is he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Pretty cool, man. Pretty yeah, that's cool. awesome, man. Yeah, you know, um, uh, just it's been almost two years now since uh, my grandfather had passed away. Mm. And uh, my grandfather was always to us like bigger than life, but we didn't know because he didn't really talk about it. But we always knew that he did a lot of big things in his community. And um, so I'm I'm from originally from California. Boy is in California now. And um, I grew up in San Bernardino. And then my parents' family grew up in Rialto. So my grandfather has a, has a baseball park named after him for everything he did in the community and stuff like that. But when he died and we went to his um, viewing, they did a slideshow and a picture pops up of my grandfather shaking hands and getting an award with Ronald Reagan. (laughs) And I slap my dad. I go, dad, why don't you ever tell me grandpa met Ronald Reagan? And he's like, he, I don't know. He never talked about it. <laughs> I'll, you know, and, and it's now it's like, I was realizing, dang, grandpa was bigger than life. You know what I mean? But he was such a humble guy. And I'm kind of getting that vibe from your dad, you know, that, that now with him, him being gone, you maybe view him in even a bigger light than, than you did when he was alive. And I know I did that for my grandfather and even my father to this day, you know, Dad, it's weird because I'm an electrician uh, by trade, and I knew when I was 18, 19, 20, I hated doing manual labor. I hated it. I was <laughs> right, like, this right. sucks, <laughs> right? Um, and then it wasn't until I was about 23 that I kind of got that that gene from my dad. Like, it kicked in because mm-hmm. my dad's done road construction since I've been alive. That's all he does. He gets home from work and then goes and works at home more and then sleeps for like 30 minutes and then gets up and does it again, (laughs) you know? And then it just, and and my dad taught me how to work with my hands and now I love it. And man, he's one of my heroes in real life for sure. Yeah. And uh, boy, I think that's, you know, you got a similar story there. That's definitely a typical story. I remember my dad, it started, I'm I'm a mechanic by trade, but it started with me holding a flashlight getting yelled at, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> First thing I remember my dad and my brother and I were on a ride somewhere down the freeway, tire blew out. I'm like 12 years old and he timed us, get out, change that tire. And my brother didn't like getting his hands dirty. And I got out there, changed the tire. I think I did it in like seven minutes or something, but it was the same thing. Like time after time, he was dragging me out into the parking lot changing clutches, dropping engines, and I could not stand it. But once I got to about my 20s, it clicked. And now I'm feeding my family. That's my career, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's, it's, it's, it is strange. It sets you on a path early on. Um, and, and, you know, I think your dad made some great choices in your favor for sure to put Clearly. you where you're at right now. That's amazing. He definitely did, man. I always, you know, when I go and speak and you know when people invite and they want to you know they want to see the bearded black cowboy they 
want to see, you know, Larry, man. Yeah. Um, always after all the titles, all after all the position, after the brand, I tell people, man, I'm a product of my father's life work. Mm-hmm. I'm a product of Robert and Marissa Stevenson. You know, attitude is reflective of, of leadership, man. And I was fortunate enough to be from a whole family, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always called my dad Superman, man. Not because he was he was tough. My dad was, you know, six five, two fifty on a on a fasting day, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But he was just a super man. You know what I'm saying? When I finally got <clears throat> to see my dad, the vessel, my dad's body after he passed away, the vessel that carried his soul, man. I didn't, it wasn't that I was falling out crying. I wasn't one of those that lay over his body. Oh, I'm sorry. And I wish we would have said this. Me and my dad said it all, bro. You know, yeah, we didn't yeah. miss a beat. We didn't miss a word. I stood over my dad's lifeless body and said, thank you. Great job, man. Um, you know, the Bible says if I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't thank you enough. And, and that's how I feel about my dad. He was just a Superman. And one thing about Superman is he taught me how to be Clark Kent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and that's a that's a huge thing. He taught me how to be super and human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. Um, so he taught me how to run and rest. Um, and that's what people don't get, man. You can't be on all the time. You need your rest and stuff. So my, my Superman definitely taught me how to be car kid. But my dad was a superman. He was a super friend. He was a super dude, super father. He was a super in every way. There's this this uh, old Negro spiritual. That it says, I find no fault in him. And that's when you're singing praise and worship uh, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I find no fault in him. Well, when I hear that song, it reminds me of my dad because I dare anybody out there on the face of the planet to find any fault in him. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. I went to, when I went to college, man, it was my, my roommates sometimes fashioned it strange because when I, when I first met Carl, my first roommate, I walked in, you know, and he had Magic Johnson and all these sports heroes on his wall, on his side of the room. And all I had, man, for four years was an eight by 10 picture of me and my dad. That's it. We told people my dad is always for me. Mm-hmm. He's always been the standard. He's always been the line. He's always been the rule. He's always been what I was to aspire to and then someday go beyond. So right. I wasn't in, I wasn't a part of that fad in the generation. Everybody was wearing jerseys or other men's name on their back. I never wanted anybody to confuse me with anything other than being Robert Stevenson's son. So no, right. I didn't wear no jerseys. I didn't have no other name on my back. I always was just proud to be Robert Stevenson's son. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Man, awesome. that's incredible. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. That's the importance of having positive male influence, you know, around you from such a young age. And and I think that's uh, what we've been missing a lot of for a long, long time now. And it definitely shows in, in the, the not just the young men, but the young women as well. And just how, how kind of shattered, you know, these these yeah. new generations are coming up and broken homes and things. Yeah. And that's what, man, people rent in America today, you know, all this anti-police BS that you see going on. Yeah. Man. I ain't never been afraid to walk out out of my house, even in the hood. I ain't never been afraid of, of a white police officer. 
Absolutely. What frightens me, what frightens me the most is the absent of the absenteeism of the father. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what frightens me, man. Um, yeah, if we yeah. Fix that, if we get that right, if we, if the dads start staying home, if dads start investing in their children, man. I'm talking about dads, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they stop walking away, um, then we'll change the world. We'll literally change the world. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, my dad, he was, he was, he's, he's had his fair share of troubles with the law and with all this stuff going on. Uh, cause my dad, he, he's a black man from Texas too. He was born in Beaumont, Texas. He had a little bit of culture shock cause when he was 16, they decided to move to Watts, Los Angeles. Yeah. So he, he got, <laughs> it was definitely a culture shock. He went from running around barefoot playing out in the woods all day to the middle of the inner city, you know? So. Yeah. But even after all the run-ins that he's ever had with police, he's never, ever told me that the first thing I need to do is be af- afraid of a police officer. He's always owned up to his mistakes, um, and, and he's always told me to you know grow beyond what we would experience in the inner city. We, when I was born, we, we were born in East Oakland. I don't remember a whole lot because we moved early enough because he knew that that type of environment was just going to create more of that environment. So even with all of the anti-police sentiments that are going on today and all the black lives matters movement, you know, he's, he's definitely been uh, an example of somebody who's gone through that system and doesn't harbor any hate for any of those people and, and tells people explicitly, you know, this, this is how we need to be better. He's, yeah. he's been through the worst part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's the thing that blows my mind still is, is even when you have stories like that coming from the opposite end of it, supporting police officers, supporting the fact that all lives matter and they still don't want to hear it. And it, and it, yeah. and it just blows my mind that it's, it's, it's an absolute refusal to have a discussion about it. Yeah. That man, that is it. You're right. It's absolutely crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. So, wait, man, your dad, boom, from Beaumont, Texas, to the concrete mm-hmm. jungle. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> And well, he he knew. See, that's the thing, because him and my mom, they knew that if they were to raise us in a situation like that, the chances of us turning into a product of that situation were extremely high. Yeah. So, for me and my brother, they moved us. It was the opposite effect for us. There's a little tiny little hole in the wall town called Ramona here in Southern California. We moved from East Oakland to Ramona, right? Complete culture shock in the opposite direction. But, you know, it it worked out for the better. Um, Like I said, my dad was in and out. And then, but I had, I had a family, you know, I still had so many people around me telling me that I need to be better. I need to be a man, you know? And, uh, and then I married my wife and her father-in-law was 30 years or, uh, my father-in-law was 30 years in the sheriff's department. And (laughs) so, you know, I tell him, you might know my dad. (laughs) (laughs) I work with him. I said, no, sir. (laughs) You know, but it's, 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 but he, he's also been, you know, such a, such a pillar in my life for the past 13 years too. So I've been fortunate enough to have a family around me, even when my dad was out. Um, but definitely the family unit is, 
is something that needs to be fixed in America today. And I'm not sure if you've seen the, the mission statement for Black Lives Matter, but the mission statement is terrible, man. They want to get rid of the nuclear family. They need to destroy the household in order to, you know, create these broken people to follow them blindly into whatever it is they want to take them into. And, you know, the, the original sentiment of black lives matter, I, 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 maybe it wasn't intended to be what it is today, but it has evolved into something that is just so hateful in so many ways. And it, and it's, and it's pretty disturbing to see that, you know, it is. And that's why I don't understand how big corporations, companies, uh, leagues, literally Mm -hmm. NFL, NBA, all those other leagues support the mission statement. Like you said, you know, not just the, the sentiment of black lives. First of all, man, you know, I don't need nobody's approval to tell me my life matters. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need that. But when you look into someone or something who is represented by an acronym, BLM, anything with an acronym from my former profession and, you know, what I train people to do, that's, that's, that's the beginning of a terrorist group. And then mm-hmm. when you look at the mission statement, you know, and the political agenda that they have, they're no different from a terrorist group for me. I hope I can say that in the show, but that's just the way I feel. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. What they are doing in the destruction of America and American cities right now with corporations now backing them, it's a crying shame, man. It's a crying shame, you know? Yeah. Uh, Larry, let me, let me ask you, um, with how vocal vocal you are with supporting police, and everything you do in your gym um, with kind of the fame and notoriety you have in your own right. Do you, do you get negative feedback? Do you get labeled, um, you know, X, Y, Z, because you're not down with that movement or anything like that? You know, it's, it's funny, man. I get asked that question a lot and really the answer is no, I don't, I really don't get that. I mean, you get some pop-ups here and there of, I don't know if they're, what is it, Google bots or internet crawlers? Yeah. Real people yeah. that they hidden in their basement typing, they gotta, you know, type anything negative, but, you know, maybe two or three questions as to why my stance is like that, but mm-hmm. I don't get called Coon, Uncle Tom, nigga, I don't get called none of that, man. I, you know, <laughs> I yeah, I've had that thing. a lot lately. <laughs> right. Let me tell you. People, we, you know, in the hood, we call it having strikes, man. I truly believe when people really know that you're just not some talking head out there. Mm-hmm. Right? You ain't no, you ain't no talking right. head. Yeah. You really, it's, this is your world. This is your, I don't, I don't talk about nothing I ain't been through. I don't, I don't comment on nothing that I ain't been. I'm not no Oprah Winfrey talk, tell you how to have kids and she ain't got no kids. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. I tell you what's true, what I've come through, what I've been through. You know, not what I'm going through because I got to get to the end, go through it to look mm-hmm. back and tell you how to get through. So, um, exactly. I, I don't, I really don't get that because it comes true. It comes from my heart. It comes from my experience. And I don't play, I don't play punk, man. I don't, I don't do that. You know, if you, yeah. you're going to come at me, then, you know, skilled in violence, bro. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Uh, there was a video you had posted, and it was kind of when all this stuff started popping off, and you know, people went crazy, started burning cities down. You had posted a video, and there's one thing that stuck with me 
And I was telling my wife about it. I was getting a little emotional telling her about it. But you had mentioned a story with your grandmother and you guys were walking down the street and you had said you were about to fight with grandma over what these dudes are saying, you know, and, and you said your grandmother had told you it's not about what they call you. It's about what you answer to. And something clicked in my mind when, when I heard you say that because I'd never heard that before. But that that phrase is so powerful, especially in today's settings. And uh, that is something that I've kind of been living by. Like I said, we've been we've been getting all kinds of stuff on on the Internet, you know, but it is definitely something that you I, I don't know if that's something you share with with your students but I think that that is definitely a phrase that you need to plaster all over a wall somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Make it, make it into a shirt and yeah, sell it. Absolutely. There yeah. There you go. Y'all be the first to, to receive it too. But yeah, man, I was, uh, I was 11 years old walking my grandma home from work, man. You know, and I mean, we have five guys, three mm-hmm. kids and two adults, two, you know, a, a father and, and his brother out there on the porch, man. Um, and screaming to the top of their their voice, you know. And I, I guys, you know, when I, when I'm talking, I'm real. So if you have to bleep it out, you know. Oh, you, you can say whatever you want. Don't show. Yeah, so you're all good. Man. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, because people have asked me, well, have you ever been called the N word? And I'm like, no, nah, ain't nobody ever walked up to me and called me the N word. You know, they was yelling at the top of their voice, niggas, go home, niggas, get out of our neighborhood, niggas, And my conditioned response, man, I turn around in that street, I'm, I'm snotting, I'm, well, I'm letting the explicit fly. You son of a boom, you son of a damn, right? Yeah. <laughs> and my grandmother called me to find me around in the street. She's looking at me, yelling at me, and I'm like, come on, grandma, we got to get them, we got to pay them. <laughs> And she's like, boy, calm down. Let me talk to you. And I'm, I'm looking at her like, Grandma, I'm going to fight you because you know we ride or die. Come on, what's going on? <laughs> so, and, and she did, man. She she looked at me in the middle of the street while they're yelling. I'm upset. She looked at me. She said, look, man, it doesn't matter what they call you. It matters what you answer to. And I'm looking at her. Wow. Like, Whoa. I mean, it really, it resonated. It hit. It cut deep. And yeah. she said, let me ask yeah. are you a nigga? And I'm like, whoa, I mean, people have told me I'm that, but ain't nobody really asked me. I'm like, well, the community says we are, everybody hang out, uses that word, you know, as a compliment or let's get angry. And when other people call us that, these people are calling me that right now. But here you are asking me this question. So, you know, I was like, well, she's gone through way more than I have and she ain't upset. She must know something I know. Right. I was like, right. And then she looked at me. She said, well, if you're not the nigga they talking to, you better straighten your back, lift your head up, hold grandma's hand, walk me home and act like you got some sense. Act like you got the sense that God gave you. I was like, man. oh, man, come on. Yeah, man. And I did. I've always That's had a quick wit about me, man. I started looking around, started looking around, and boom, I had him. The dude fell for it, man. He said, hey. He said, what you looking for? I said, I'm looking for the nigga you called. And I'm not telling you what looking for. <laughs> oh, you start looking over your shoulder? Yeah, I 
Since I was 11 years old, I haven't responded negatively to that word or anything else that isn't attributed to who I am. I haven't responded to that. You know, so and then like I I said, like like you were guys with us, that's kind of a long way around. But as you guys, I don't, I don't, I don't get the fluff, but I don't get the pushback. But really, it doesn't matter to me because I figure. I'm not going to hold back anything I'm going to say. I'm always going to be real. I'm always going to be true because the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth being Jesus Christ shall set you free. But if we look at the word truth, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to sugarcoat anything, lie to anybody or, or pansy around the bush or eggshells. Why? Because people don't talk about you anyway. So you might as well right. tell them the that's right. Absolutely, man. That's that's amazing, right there. You know, I tell you a quick story before we ask you some more questions about your gym here. But um, I got a coworker of mine, and this dude's probably six two. I don't know, two fifty. Big, 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 huge black guy. Is and this dude lifts weights, man. <laughs> He's like he could he will get to a size that I could never even dream of getting to. Um. <laughs> But, you know, I I had asked him when we first met, uh, kind of what, what, what's your stance on with everything that's going on, you know, and with like the Black Lives Matter and everybody, you know, rioting and stuff like that. Because where we live now, my wife and I relocated um, to Kansas. So we're out mm. here in Johnson County, Kansas, nice. just south of Kansas City. Okay. And um, he said, you know, I got a lot of uh, friends. I've lost a lot of friends over it. Um, cause they're like, Hey, you come into this protest tonight. We're going to get this and do that. And he's like, no. And they're like, why? He's like, cause I have a job and I have four kids at home. Yeah. 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 So then he gets labeled this, that, and the other. And he's like, that's fine. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I still got to feed my kids. So yeah. I don't have time to do that. I got, and I can't get wrapped up in that. Cause if I get wrapped up in that and then I get caught doing something, then, you know, my kids go to the state or, you know, whatever, what, what have you from that situation. But, um, yeah, man, good, good on Larry. Do you have a podcast? Cause you need to have a podcast, brother. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> no, we're, we're actually, man, we're in the works. Um, I'll hold it to the, to the chest and let y'all know behind the firewall, but we're in the works. I've been offered a, a TV show to host a TV show. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what God has, man. Yeah. Um, it has to be not Larry. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. Has to right. Be, this has there's the to title. Be the lane. You know, it yeah. has to be the lane that God has assigned me to. I know my lane, man. I teach people how not to die physically mm-hmm. and spiritually. I know my lane. When people tell me or ask me, well, how much does it cost to have a class with you, private with you? Hey, call my wife. I, I don't know. I, and I really don't know. Well, what day can we do? I, I don't know. Call my wife. That's not my lane. Yeah. Right? So it, everything that I do has to be in alignment with the path that God has got me on. Anything that interferes with that is not a part of my destiny. And I, my daddy gave me, gave me a great gift. He gave me the gift of goodbye and the gift of saying no. And I'm not afraid to say either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. I think wow. I think whatever path you're on right now, you're doing the right thing. So if something does happen, they drop a TV show on you, yeah. it's going to be a success. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, I tell you what, if if they do, man, uh, we'll 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 do this again on my show. Oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> man, that would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, uh, 
Larry, man, let's let's kind of get into what what we kind of I mean, boy and I are probably chomping at the bit to ask you these <laughs> questions about your gym and stuff like that. So, so looking at your website, um, the martial arts that you teach there. Um, so you have jujitsu, Muay Thai, wrestling, boxing, and is it Jeet Kune Do you also do as well? Jeet Kune Do, and Jeet Kune Do is the base. Everything is encapsulated within Jeet Kune Do. You know, and for for those that don't understand or know what Jeet Kune Do is, Jeet Kune Do is Cantonese for the way of the intercepting fist, and it's Bruce Lee's original art, which was the first mixed martial yes. art. Mixed meaning. He took the best from whatever art form that worked and applied it to what he was trying to create, this fully functioning, free-flowing art that Mm -hmm. didn't just work if, for the lack of a better word, if I was a Taekwondo practitioner, it didn't just work against another Taekwondo person, but it could work against a jiu-jitsu person, a shoot boxer, a Muay Thai, a kickboxer, a fencer, whatever. Right. Jeet Kune Do is the base and everything that we do, including jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing, and all that, fits mm-hmm. inside that structure and that base of the water, be like water, of Jeet Kune Do. Right. That's awesome. Wow. And that includes so, knives. That includes uh, weaponry, you know, long rifle, handgun, uh-huh. um a stick, a brick that includes all that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you, Larry. Or I would assume that because we, I think Boy and I's uh, knowledge is is predominantly jujitsu since we are both practitioners of it. Yeah. I did a, a bit of um, Muay Thai when I was probably um, twenty three. I did a few years of it. I wanted to amateur fight, never did. Um, 2016, I was in a motorcycle accident. I got a bunch of screws and plates in my face. So I told my wife, I was like, I can't go to the gym every day and purposely get punched in the face. So I just got to <laughs> stick to jujitsu. Uh, you get the occasional, you know, knee and elbow, what have you. But um, I would, I would imagine you're a black belt at, yeah. of, of some degree. If I'm, yeah, I'm a black belt under. I got my first two black belts under uh, Sifu Clarence Thatch out of uh, Denver. Colorado and Clarence has been my man, my fight manager and my trainer almost all of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I'm both under uh, Seafood Clarence Thatch, who is an amazing, amazing uh, man and person. And that's why I named the gym 3D Martial Arts and I added Tactical Defense because my gym back in Denver from the 80s and 90s and 2000s Denver was 3D martial arts, and that was a gym that Clarence Thatch owned. Okay. So my thank you to Clarence is to continue the legacy and the bloodline of 3D martial arts. So mm-hmm. it's never about Larry. It's always about <clears throat> those that have come before you. So right. that's why we named the gym right. 3D martial arts. And 3D is huge, man. It doesn't just stand for dedication, devotion, and desire. But 3D means that we're a three-dimensional fighter. means mm-hmm. if we need to strike, we strike. If we need to go to the ground, we go to the ground. If we need to deploy weapons, we deploy weapons. But we can fight you on any platform, on any planet, on any continent. No matter what right. you're doing, we can still <laughs> fight you. Right. Yes. Right. And wow. you guys are jujitsu uh, practitioners. And, and I love it because... I got to, I had the esteemed opportunity 
before UFC one started to start my jujitsu training with the Gracie family. Oh, wow. Um, and that was in wow. 1990. I started jujitsu in 1990 with, you know, walked into the gym. It was Hoyler. It was Hoyce. It was uh, Master Helio Gracie Hickson, uh, walked into the gym of 3D martial arts in, in Denver. So I, I got my base wow. foundation started built or being built by the Gracie family before USC, just before people even know, knew who the Gracies were. Yeah. But that's amazing. Because they come because Clarence Fats opened the gym to them to help start um, the USC. And it was right. a tremendous, but, and from day one, there it goes again, the love that I felt mm. for yet another art. Because mm-hmm. like, we didn't know anything around. <clears throat> Hell, we didn't even know about tapping. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Hoyler Gracie putting me, teaching us the uh, Americana, you know, uh-huh. lift my slide, you know, take the ground with the back of the hand and all that, uh-huh. and sweep and all that. <laughs> you know, I, I felt it was like it's tight, but I, okay, I could deal with it. And then he was like, he heard a pat. <laughs> you know, like, oh, are you okay? I was like, uh, what was I supposed to do? And he was like, you supposed yeah. to do <laughs> like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I knew we were uh, to the ground gang. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, so I've been practicing jujitsu since 1990, man. And now it's a blessing That's to be incredible. able to give true jujitsu, mm-hmm. self-defense jujitsu. Remember, jujitsu was not created for a competition. It was created for self-defense for a smaller person to be able to use alavanca leverage to mm-hmm. handle a larger person. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And, and I love what you, love what you said, uh, big country, but true jiu-jitsu is trained with strikes. Anything outside of that is just grappling with submission. True yep. jiu-jitsu is always trained with strikes. Yep. You know, that's why... Um, I want to say, boy, it's gonna, you're probably going to laugh at me because like my jujitsu hero is Eddie Bravo <laughs> and <laughs> Eddie Bravo's got the, you know, the um, combat jujitsu. Yeah. So it's open palm striking with grappling and ground game. Right. And um, the gym that I'm at now, uh, KCBJJ is I'm under Jason Bircher and he is associated with uh, Renato Tavares. And so the gym that I was at when I, I mean, this is right when I met, I mean, I met a boy is like my brother. Um, I met him through my wife now who they've been family friends. We were training at uh, Outliers Jiu-Jitsu, yes, right? Uh, boy? Yeah. Outliers um, Jiu-Jitsu, home by Jeremy Barden. Who, yeah. he has his black belt under Matt Baker, who has his black belt from um, JJ Machado. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's kind of incredible. Like when you think about the training that you're receiving and then who you're receiving it from that they've got it. Like it's this, it's almost like a lineage. Yeah. Like yeah. a bloodline, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah kind of like a bloodline of, yeah. um, cause we did in an earlier show. Um, cause when we started the show two years ago, we had a different name. We had another host with us. Um, but we did a history of jujitsu and we had our uh, black belt at the time on the show to basically talk about not only the history of jujitsu, but just kind of talk about what it is for us and why we do it and why we would recommend it to somebody. Um, but, um, that was a lot of fun. And, and, and with jujitsu, I feel like 
it, it's 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 hard to explain because my mind is never more clear than when I'm being choked out. <laughs> I, don't that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but like a lot of people might think that's crazy. But uh, you know, with like everything that's going on in the world right now, uh, it's it's almost just such a rel- kind of like the show is for us. Mm-hmm. It's just such a release yeah. of everything that's going on mentally, spiritually, um, you know, and it's just you and your partner, whether you're, you know, you're just training some moves or, or you're actually rolling. But um, it's, it's, I, I couldn't, boy, I couldn't thank you enough for getting me back into it. Cause I did a little bit when I was um, kind of thought I was going to be a, an MMA fighter at one point <laughs> in my life. And, but um, so Larry, let me ask you this too. Um, on your website, you also do, I don't know if it's a class or it's just something that you teach a little bit on the side of uh, escape and evasion of if you're actually taken hostage. What is that about? Yes, yes it's, it's uh, my not taken class. Not That's what it is. It's not taken. You know, the, the spinoff of the movie Taken, but yeah. not taken, man, is. Uh, it's it's a class of escape, evasion, anti-abduction, anti-kidnapping, showing people that just because you're tied up does not mean uh, that you cannot escape. If you understand what's going on, if you understand the time limitations that you're under, the restraints that, that are being used, whether it's zip tied, duct tape, rope, handcuff, uh, dog chain, master lock, or whatever, or in a room, you know, you can come out of that if you do not panic. But you know, there's a point from point A to point B. You know, we got to make sure the point of abduction being point A, the point of abduction before you get mobile or while you're mobile is the best time to escape. When you get to point B, you know, you, you, you walk in, you're carried in or you're rolled in and, you know, that's a bad deal because you probably will hear plastic or feel sand under your feet, that thing right. that captures your DNA that's easy to remove. We don't want you to get to that point, but even when you get to that point, you can still escape. But, um, some of my history in in what I was trying to do and 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 recapture folks and all that stuff. That's where we get um, our not taken and uh, anti-abduction and stuff. And it's a wonderful class. You can you see the empowerment that people get when they're zip tied when they put I put a, a blind over their face and, and they're tied to their chair and all that stuff. Women, women, yeah. and, and they come out of it, you know, or they're handcuffed, you know, behind their backs or in front of their um, in front of their uh, uh, body or, or what have you, and you know they 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 pull a uh, 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 a bobby pin. There you, you go. Know, yeah, I walk around with bobby pins in my beard, man, just in case I'm kidnapped. You know. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea, <laughs> man. But bobby pins everywhere. I always have about five bobby pins on around the person at any time. But I show people how to escape um, with that. Baby, can you grab that plug for me so I can plug my computer? Um, but I show people how to escape from zip ties, whether hands, feet, in all kind of weird positions and stuff like that. Duct tape, rope, master locks, escape rooms, cars, trunks, uh, underwater, um, wow. all of that stuff. Real claustrophobic, uh, working on the, the sand burial pit now. Um, to get people really claustrophobic and actually bury them and have them escape. That's wild, man. Dude. People, man, we don't play rough. We play real. 
Yeah, well, real real life isn't going to play easy. You know what I mean? Uh, right. The, the type of training that you do, because I know, um, like, I got my nephew involved in jujitsu. He's been training almost his entire life, and before he started training, he was very introvert, very quiet, very shy. Now he's doing, you know, kickboxing, jujitsu, stick fighting, and and his personality is complete 180. So I can't imagine how people are after you teach them how to escape, you know, being tied up, the type of confidence that they would carry with them just, you know, headed to the gas station or anything like that, you know. You you have that situational awareness. You know that you have this weapon with you at all times and you're going to be okay. You know, that's so cool. And it's incredible, man, to see people's faces when they come out of a situation where before the class, before the the either the two-day introduction or the four-day extended class with the water escaping and, and room escaping. So it's incredible to see people, you know, their eyes light up like, oh, my God, I don't have to be this victim. God forbid this ever happens. Yeah, I right. never knew I had these types of tools available, you know, with just a bobby pin, fellas. Boy, a big country. To show you how to walk through a wall with just a bobby pin. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep some on me now. <laughs> I keep yeah. them all over my damn house. This time I put them yeah. in my pocket. Class <laughs> <laughs> and I put handcuffs on them, and they're like, "Where's the I'm like, "I don't. I literally don't have any handcuffs. Either. All I have is bobby pins and other, you know, makeshift stuff from around the house to do yeah. all those keys." But they're like, "We don't have handcuffs." Either. I'm like, "No, I don't. Well, I'll show you how to get out of that." <laughs> man that's cool i usually keep my bobby pins in the old prison wallet but uh, maybe i'll start putting them in the beard you know what i mean anti-abduction anti-kidnapping so it's not only um the zip ties again duct tape rope chains master locks but it's also it's a physical class you know with mm-hmm. grass and deploying the type of rat techniques and mixed with who shits and that and that's where you get uh the Jeet Kune Do that brings mm-hmm. everything together. And when I say rat, uh that's hats off to Sifu Paul Vunak who um is part of my Jeet Kune Do lineage and belt, you know, from Bruce Lee to Dan and right. Paul Vunak, Clarence that's to me. Um but we call it rap, the rat system. That's rapid assault tactics. So mm. teaching people the rapid assault tactics and how to survive the abduction and or the fight. True self defense. I'm not teaching ladies or guys just how to punch, you know, we're getting right. eye strikes, we're kunamatai, we're, we're biting, we're eye gouging, yeah. you know, all the stuff that ensures that we get rapid blood loss, immediate pain, and we can escape. Right. 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 Yeah. Wow. This, That's definitely, crazy. You're, you're, you're not, uh, one of these like McDojo guys that you see, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know what that page is, right? You yeah, follow that page. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, cause we've, we've watched, I don't know how many, we'll share your videos back and forth of the crazy stuff that we see you guys do. And it's definitely not nothing foo-foo about it. You know what I mean? This is, it's, it's real life stuff. I tell people when you come into our gym, we're one of, you know, you take a hundred gyms, we're that one out of, one out of a hundred that, we're self-defense based. We're not competition based. I, I, I can get you in the ring and all that stuff, but we're self-defense based. So that's from day one. We're going to start you out with self-defense with the techniques that you learn. You can yep. deploy against Pookie, Ray Ray, Mike, or Jose, or little Trey Trey, whoever attacks you. <laughs> 
you'll know how to defend yourself. And I tell people too, Clarence, see football, Dan, I come from a stingy lineage. Mm-hmm. What that means is I'm very stingy. You got to know how to fight. And it's not about remembering techniques. It's about building that fighting acumen and sensitivity that you know when I come at you, you understand how to flow in that fight. So you yeah. got to know how to fight before you get your black stripe or you belt up or whatever. Right. Right. I don't right. Think that. I, and, 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 you know, y'all got an international <clears throat> show. Obviously, it's on the Internet. But let me make this clear to everybody listening. You come to my gym and you think you're just gonna pay for lessons and, and belt up or stride up, you need to stripe up, you need to find another gym. No, you gotta learn how to fly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That shit don't fly. How long you come, how much you pay, it doesn't matter to me. You gotta learn how to fight. It would hurt me to my heart if you went out there, Cookie Ray Ray and them attacked you and, and you tried to do something that I taught you and yep. it didn't work because you paid for it, you you felt confident. No, we don't do that, bro. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of those out there. Um, you know, um, a few months back before COVID and all this happened, right? So my wife and I moved out here in October and I told my wife, I was like, I, I got to go back to jujitsu. I got to find a gym out here somewhere. There just so happens to be a traditional Brazilian jujitsu gym just down the street from our house. So I went and checked it out. And just personally, the way that they do it, um, wasn't for me and I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick with it. So basically when we lined up for class, the guy that was teaching the class, um, was a like third, third, third stripe, uh, brown belt. And cause it's the, you got to do the inter inter like intermediate level beginning class in order to start. And then they see where you're at. Cause you want to go in. I'm sure there's people that go into gyms. Oh yeah. I'm like a 38 degree black belt, bro. And then they just get, <laughs> you know, you smoked by like a guy that doesn't even have a gi yet or whatever. <laughs> and, um, so they, so the guy's walking down with a clipboard and he's got, okay, this, per- yo, yeah, you're almost there. And then this person, That's Oh so yeah, weird. you're getting there. And I was like, what does that even mean? And the guy that was kind of like after I did the class, because I actually got my first stripe because I'm just a white belt, got my first stripe from my black belt that boy is under. And um, the one of the guys in the class was like, hey, because you have a stripe, you can stay after and kind of do some more of the intermediate level. So um, and you can roll. Like, cause we didn't roll at all. We just trained and that's fine. I know a lot of gyms don't like a lot of the new guys to roll, but so I said, okay, well, one of the, one of the other students was like, maybe you should check with the coach first. And I said, okay. So, uh, afterwards the guy that owns the gym was like, Hey, you're not ready to do that yet. Um, let's get you signed up for the next class. And I said, okay. Um, cause I paid 30, but it's like 30 bucks to do their first couple classes. So I did that and he said, well, listen, I can sign you up right. And these guys are like from Brazil. So they have like Brazilian accents, you know, he's like, I can sign you up right now, but you have to do it right now and we'll get you a discount on the key. And I was like, bro, I I have like five. So then, so then he goes, Oh, you're going to love this. So then he goes, um, well, uh, this is our price. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say the gym's name. I'm not going to say how much it was. It was too much. Mm-hmm. I said, well, how many times can I train? Because my other gym was set price, no contract, come as many days as you want, as many classes as you want. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. If you need, if, if something happens, just let me know, you know what I mean? And and you're always welcome back, whatever. So he goes, you, you, 
you can do as many classes as you want, but being in an intermittent, like a beginning level, you can only do this many classes. And it was like two a week. So weird. And I said, well, how, how do I get to the next level to take more classes? It seems like it typically takes about six months. And, and I was like, okay. So, right, exactly. So I, in my head, I'm already like, I'm out. <laughs> but I'm not trying to be a dick, right, to this guy who could obviously murder me. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, dude, let me call my wife and just talk to her. Yeah. And he's like, call her up right now. Go ahead. And I was like, no, dude, let me talk to my wife. <laughs> like, slow down. And then, yeah, right. So then he starts used car salesman. <laughs> so then he goes, he goes, hey, man, he's like, I'm sure your wife would be perfectly fine with you. <laughs> wanting to learn how to defend her and i'm like dude listen i moved to the midwest the first thing we did when we got here was buy guns and i open carry now right Right. the first thing i'm gonna reach for if i have to defend my wife is probably my pistol (laughs) go to the ground after that we'll see where we're at you know but so finally i said okay i'm gonna um let me go. Let me go grab some stuff out of my car. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, cool." And I, you know, I'm out of there. <laughs> Never went back. Luckily, I found a gym that's very similar to the gym I was at in back in California. I, t- I text the guy. I was like, "Hey, man, I had this experience at this gym. I'm just trying to find a gym where I could train. I'd l- I'd like to compete at some point." He's like, "Yeah, come try it out. As long as you want, just let me know, dude." Bam, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. But there's a lot of these gyms out there, and you know, obviously McDojo. Um, their Instagram is very the extreme mm-hmm. the other way, but I do feel bad for these people that pay this money and is like, oh, I only I only train in the death arts. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are the death arts? Yeah. What are you talking about? Because I, f- I feel that those people that do that are thoroughly convinced that they're learning something that could save their life. And if they're ever in that situation where they would have to use it, I God bless them. Hopefully it never happens. But so dangerous. It, so dangerous. Yeah, exactly. People that, you know, the people who, who, who are like trying to shoot these chi balls at people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, that's terrible. Cause if, if somebody does put a gun in your ribs and yeah. you try and chi blast them, you're going to die. You know what I mean? and they're and they're taking their money from them and these guys are making a great living off of it you know and it's like man you're gonna get a lot of people killed out here by trying to show them you know because you you i mean i'm sure you, you've experienced it before where you do have some martial artists who who are kind of assholes and and they like to start shit because they have that knowledge of fighting. Now, can you imagine somebody that's trying to cheat blast an entire bar? <laughs> you know what I mean? And someone who actually, <laughs> yeah, someone who actually <laughs> fight comes in and just dusts them up. Like it's yeah. a terrible thing to put somebody through and to have that false sense of confidence in their mind. What what I think what's worse than that is I'm not sure how you feel about it as an instructor, but when you do have these classes where they only um, put like white belts with white belts. And then when, once you are promoted, then you can get that extra piece of knowledge from upper belts. How do you feel about that? I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, because when you walk out of my door, who can mm-hmm. really don't care what belt you're operating in right now. Absolutely. They will attack you just because they're jerks and they're going to attack you. 
Mm-hmm. So I want you to get fighting acumen, sensitivity, and knowledge with everybody. Right. Uh, agree with yeah. And, and, and white belts. And and let's 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 be clear, man. You know, because you always hear white belts, black belts, and the differentiation between. And yes, there there's a, a huge difference between a higher level, a person that has a higher level of knowledge, mm-hmm. just starting or still working within the confines, if you will, of a white belt. But, mm-hmm. but just like mm, I talked to Clarence mm, day before yesterday, and we were talking, you know, my thing is no matter what, at 3D martial arts and tactical defense, we're going to be brilliant at the basics. Mm-hmm. We're going to be absolutely brilliant at the basics, and we're going to be perfect at defense. Then when we're perfect, we're going to perfect upon perfection. Okay? Um, so Clarence hit me to a, a, a gap space in a technique on the ground that we had been working on for about the last two years. So he just told me this the other day. So Sunday, tomorrow, when I go in and teach the guys, you know, in, in my Sunday seminar and sparring class, guess what? When I'm teaching them this, this understanding, this new nuance of the space that Clarence happened to find, mm-hmm. we're all white belts. Yep. We're all white. When we're learning something new, yep. if, you're mm-hmm. belt, if you're learning something new, you're a white belt at that time. Right? Yes, sir. And that's what guys don't get. That's what guys, guys aren't humble enough to understand, hey, I'm learning with you. Mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all white belts at this particular time. So I don't agree with separating. I I believe you know I want to I want people to spar, roll with everybody because that's right. how you learn, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. That's my two. No, 100%. Uh, Larry, let me ask you real quick. How, how much time do we have with you? We want to keep keep to your schedule, and we don't want to keep you longer than what you got for. So, uh, I got I, – I blocked you off for two hours, man. I didn't know. Okay. Tell you what, why don't we take a quick break? Um, we'll just step away for a second. We'll keep it We'll keep it going. Um, use the bathroom if you need to. Okay. Um, and then and, and we'll take a quick intermission, and we'll come right back. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. Okay, cool. All right. So, and we're back. We're back from a little break here with uh, Larry, the bearded black cowboy Stevenson. Um, so, Larry, let me ask you too um, about your gym. Now, you mentioned that it's it's not specifically for competition. Uh, it is geared around self defense. Do you ever get some people that come in there that are um, egos as big as their body? And, uh, you know, they think they know that like, I'm give you a quick story. So the gym that I train at now, we had this huge yoke dude came in there, right? Doesn't own a gi, wants to try jujitsu for the first time. Doesn't know anything about the ground game. And he, he, I think in his head and I could be, you know, way off in left field here, but just the way that he was acting, I'm like, he thinks that because I'm this big, I should be able to smoke this little guy. Yeah. And then he gets rolled up into a ball and it do you get do you get some students like that from time to time or I get not only students, but from my students you have also their parents. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah. a background of some sort of style, some sort of art or just, you know, 
street fighter, big guy. You know, yep. I'll tell you uh, one story about dad brought his son in and son's 14 years old, man. And he was like six, three, six, four, big, big kid. Right. And Damn, so he wow. came into Monday night's kids class. Um, this was last year. He came into Monday night's kids class. And I talked to him over the phone, told him to bring his kid, you know, Monday night kids class. He walked in and he saw some of the kids, all of the kids were smaller than him and shorter than him and all that. You know, and the dad, hell, the dad was like six four, two eighty or whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, just long guy. And, you know, you can tell he worked out and all that. And he's kind of standing there at the desk, you know, looking at me and looking at the mat like, dude, you told my kid to come to this class, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of looked at him and we're filling out a little paperwork. And he goes, well, hold on. Do you have another class? Do you think I should bring him to another class? And this was Monday night, you know, jujitsu class for kids, right? And I told him, no, this, you know, he's cool here. You know, it doesn't matter the size, you know, and I gave him the whole leverage and all of us was feeling. He goes, yeah, he might be too big for these kids. <laughs> I looked at him, you know, and I, I just put the pin down. I looked at him. Um, I said, and I just said this, I said, baby. And whenever I yell baby in the gym, baby girl, my baby girl knows, you know, to come see what daddy wants. And, you know, <laughs> all of my my videos are filmed by my baby girl, man. You'll hear her say go in the beginning. That's my baby girl, right? She's been training with her daddy since she was 18 months. And she travels the world with me, training law enforcement, military, civilians alike, right? Right. So she comes over and she's like, yeah, yeah, she's like, she's tiny, man. And, you know, she goes, okay, <laughs> right? And I looked at him, the father, and I said, um, I said, I tell you what, if you go with her over there on the mat, then you're back, she'll get in the mount. If you, you got a minute and 40 seconds, that's, uh, or yeah, a minute and 40 seconds, that's 100 seconds. That's the FBI research that says, you know, you have this time before a good guy shows up or somebody puts down their phone and mm -hmm. comes to help you. If you can get off your back in a minute and 40 seconds, right, then I'll give your kid a lifetime of classes free. <laughs> right? Damn. And, you know, at that time, my daughter was 14. She's, you know, right now she's just over five feet tall. You know, she's maybe 100 pounds. And mm -hmm. looks, she goes, no, nah, I don't think my son should go with her. I said, excuse me, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I said, if you can get off your back <laughs> and defeat her mouth, Get to your feet. I'll give your son a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he looks at me. He says, "Where's the rest of the paperwork?" I said, "You're gonna fill out." He said, "For the simple fact, you offered your daughter up to to roll with me on the mat." He said, "Yeah, this is the place for my son." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am not about to roll with her because she's not about to embarrass. Yeah, man. Size yeah. does not matter. I'm I'm six two, close close to three hundred. And when I first started training, there's a set of twins, Nick and Vinny. And Vinny, maybe ninety pounds, soaking wet, full grown man. He ain't getting any bigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, the years that I trained with him, I can maybe say once or twice. You know, during live sparring, I might have been able to submit him. But all of the other times, probably hundreds of times, literally whooped my ass yeah. up and down the mat. And, yeah. and 
and, and people think like I'm, I'm taking it easy. I'm not, I have to go harder on him than anybody else. And, but his technique is so finely tuned that it doesn't matter if we were the same size. It doesn't matter. It, it, I couldn't imagine how tough he would be if he was my size. I'm thankful he's only 90 pounds because the shit he puts me through is, is wild. And, and that's the one thing when people see a guy like that in, in a a combat setting, they finally get to understand. And, but I know exactly what you mean when you're talking about the parents coming in, it's like the, the baseball dads, right? And they're on the mat, they're yelling at their kids, moms, softball mom. But there's been so many parents where the coach says, you need to stop yelling at your kid. You put on a gi and you get on the mat and you see how easy it is. Yeah. And there's been a handful of parents, including my nephew's father, who once they put that gi on and he's been training now for years too, completely changed their perspective. And they start to respect the, the beatings that those kids do take. You know what yeah. I mean? And cause you're not going to, you're not going to win without losing a bunch first, right. you know? Right. Yeah. That's what I see, man. So, you know, the, the parent, but you get some people that come in that, you know, are slowed up either in body and or ego. And, you know, but by the time they reach the mat and they get to, I mean, whether law enforcement, civilian or military, by the time they reach the mat, they quickly get an understanding that I need to check this ego at the door. This is not what this is about. And I don't know what just happened. Law enforcement, I don't know what just happened to my gun, but it's gone. Yep. Right, right, right. carrier or open carrier. I don't know what just happened to my gun, yep. but it's gone. Yeah, because I don't think this weapon retention happens like YouTube. This no, it happens yeah. in the actual fight, and it happens so quick it's blinding if you don't have that sensitivity to it. So, um, I, I we see them, but it's such a blessing at 30, man. It's the ministry of the mats. And I tell mm-hmm. everybody when they walk through the door and they want to be involved with 3D martial arts and tactical defense, here's the deal. Here's how I start every class, whether private, group, or event. We mm-hmm. start, we say a prayer, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, and we do 22 uh, push-ups to honor our nation's veterans who commit suicide on a daily basis. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. And I, oh, I look them in their eye and tell them, if that's not for you, then this gym is not for you and you're not welcome. Yep. That's awesome. That's amazing to hear. That's so cool. Dude, I'm going to start crying. I'm going to start crying right now. <laughs> Holy cow, Larry. You're a true G right there for what you do. Uh, <laughs> so, man, I, I got to tell you, boy, I think I, I think I did. I roll with Vinny. I uh, with Vinny before. Nick. Not, cause Nick's out. Nick. Okay, so Nick. So Nick's like smaller than Vinny is. No, no, no. Then then it was Vinny. Sorry. Okay. So it was Vinny. I rolled. And at the time that I rolled with him, he's a brown belt. And so he's on his back. Let me, let me, let let me just break this down to you. I I, Toriando pass. mm -hmm. He regards. I knee cut. I got him in side control. I get rolled to my back. (laughs) In my mind, I go, Toriando, dang it, regard, knee cut, side control. Why am I getting rolled over right now? <laughs> and 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 I'm 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 a skinny guy. I'm I'm six one, but I walk around at I don't know one seventy on a good day. Um, and this guy's five seven, maybe, maybe, yeah. 
92 pounds if he 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 ate breakfast that morning yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it just it just goes to show you and and, you know i had a co-worker that went um he was asking me about jujitsu because i told him that i was training and he wanted to come check it out, and I and I I told him this, and and hopefully I I, I break this down correctly. Um, I, I feel that when you start training, whether it be jujitsu, muay thai, boxing, wrestling, whatever it is, there's this level of confidence that you gain. Um, that if it's taught to you correctly, and you have the right mentors, you kind of walk around with this um, level of confidence to where. As an example, maybe you're at a bar and some people are being loud in the back that you don't really worry about. It. You notice it, but you're not worried about it. Mm-hmm. Only for the fact of, I know if something were to happen, yeah. you know, I'm looking at, you know, I got a, I got a sweatshirt on. This is going around his, his neck and then my <laughs> knees going in his belly. And, you know, so, and I'm not saying that, and, and I, to our listeners out there, I don't want to make it sound like people that do jujitsu are a bunch of assholes that walk around like I'm looking to choke people. Are there people that take jujitsu that are like that? Of course there are. Mm-hmm. I've rolled with them. They're terrible people. Yeah. But <laughs> um, it's just this, this um, level of being able to defend your life if you had to i think that is so powerful and and it's kind of like you you wouldn't get it unless you've done it yeah and i don't mean necessarily defend your life but just trained yeah yeah you know uh, i mean and there's there's girls that i've rolled with yeah. that have smoked me yeah yeah <laughs> and and you just you just retie your you just retie your belt and 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 you get back after it. Yeah. And I think it jujitsu and and of course Larry you're 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 vested in so many martial arts that um we're just speaking about jujitsu personally myself that man it just brings you back to earth whatever mm-hmm. pl- you were high fiving before you come right back down to earth with yeah. it. And I think that's why I appreciate you know jujitsu so much. Yeah. I, you know, um, jiu-jitsu, man, I love it because it's one of the only arts when you're sparring and when you're training uh, that you can go 100%. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. And really pressure test it on the mat. You mm-hmm. know? And what I love about pressure testing something on the mat is, you know, if we're doing a defense, right? Let's just take the Americana, since I mentioned that earlier. If we're doing a defense, uh, you know, on the Americana, well, you know, my training partner or sparring partner can go 100% in trying to affect and um, the Americana. But I mm-hmm. like to do things slow in terms of defending. So I go slow and I encourage my students first. Anybody can go fast, but speed will sometimes mask a flaw. So therefore, yep. when he's placing you in or she's placing you in the Americana, let them get to the point right where it's uncomfortable. Before it snaps, go ahead and tap. Now back yep. up off of that about a half inch right at the point of pain. Let your partner start to apply it at 100% their pressure. Here's the counter. Here's the defense to that. Almost locked in Americana. Go slow. Go slow. Yep. Watch how the defense is absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's what you just yeah. you can go one hundred percent. 
I can't go 100% bang and elbow the yeah. Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Class is over. Yeah. Well, you know, I've invested in motorcycle helmets. So at my gym, you put on the motorcycle helmets and you can go 100%. There you go. Elbows and knee strikes, eye strikes, because we got yeah. motorcycle helmets. But jiu-jitsu right. is one of the arts where the textile feeling and the dexterity mm-hmm. of your fingers and everything in terms of building sensitivity, you can go. 100% pressure Yeah, It's a beautiful thing. I absolutely love it. And my hat yep. goes off uh, to the Gracie's when I first started uh, learning from it. It's a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Yeah, slow is fast. Yeah. Slow is fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a, a very interesting. I was um, at class on Wednesday night. And I was talking to a guy that's there and he had mentioned that the way that they train jujitsu and I believe, don't quote me on this, but I he said it was um like Iceland mm. that they start at the end of the submission and they work backwards, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. which is really interesting to me. And um, he was talking to me about it and I said, man, that's, that's so interesting because reverse engineering. Pick any, pick any, yeah. Exactly. So pick, so pick any position and, you know, you could always move forward from there, but how do you move backwards mm-hmm. from there? And I think that's an interesting part of jujitsu that um, maybe a lot of gyms might start incorporating. And I thought that was very interesting that he had had brought that up. I, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people when they start jujitsu and they start to to get a love for it, you know, they let's roll. Yeah, you know, for, forget the basics. Let's roll. You <laughs> yeah. know, because you get to, you get excited about yeah. it, right? But too many gyms, I think, look past the basics. Yeah. And the basics are so important. And I think when you incorporate the basics, you'll start to learn how to work it backwards. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, when I was at the gym in San Diego with Jeremy, I mean, he pounded basics into our head. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a foundation or the building falls down. That's it. Exactly. That's it. And the basics, man. That's why I say, you know, we have the saying and we absolutely mean it at our gym. We're going to be brilliant at the basics. Um, I mm-hmm. know guys out there that can touch their, their buttholes to their elbows with their toes. Yeah. Nose, right. All that fancy stuff. Yeah. But have space and gaps in their basics. So we yep. have to be there's so many small little mm-hmm. key details in the basics that can make you absolutely perfect in whatever yep. position you choose to defend or whatever position that you presently struggle with that you put yourself in that you get mm-hmm. better, right? Yeah. I um, always tell guys that, that have been doing this a while, you know, we're not, we're, I don't, we're not coming in and you're working on your strength. That means absolutely nothing to me. We're going to work yep. what you presently struggle with. And we're going to bring what you presently struggle with up to your strength. So now you're perfect on both sides. Exactly. Right. Um, so yeah. And, and, and again, with the basics, my thing, and, and we start out, we warm up, then we do conditioning like mm-hmm. you would believe because you have to be able to survive the fight without being exhausted because exhaustion mm-hmm. and fatigue is the killer of technique, right? So if you can start to learn while being tired, and if Pookie and Ray Ray, Michael, Jose, or your opponent, by the time mm-hmm. you get to the ring, you know they've been doing the exact opposite. They've exactly. just been training technique. They haven't been what we say getting the breath up. And we say yep. 
ain't no tired. It's not good English, but it makes perfect sense because you cannot yep. afford to get tired. So I start my students out. We get exhausted first, and then we start this. Right. You know what I'm so wow. then you start the basics while you're totally and completely drenched with sweat and exhausted. Yep. Now, now let's work. The work does not start until you get tired. Yep. Right. I saw. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, what was what's that saying? I mean, it's not just at Jeremy's gym, but it's, it's in jiu-jitsu is you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Because as soon as you realize that in this, like we're the position that I'm in right now, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's, it's, it's so weird. I mean, there's uh, Thursday night, for example, when I was in, or Wednesday night when I was in class, for example, this guy had my back mm-hmm. and he had me for the whole round. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there's this spazzy white belt mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that are that they're out there, right? right and and right. some of the higher some of the higher belts don't like to roll with those guys, and I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this weird thing that happen. I don't I don't know if it's chemically or if it's just within your brain when you start to understand the sport of jujitsu mm-hmm. and what it is, and you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's this level of clarity. Mm-hmm. That happens like in your mind, yeah. where it's almost like slow motion, yeah. kind of. It's it's again, it, it it's only something that you could know what we're talking about if you've if you've trained before. Yeah. But it's it's Larry. Can you? I mean, am I blowing hot smoke here, or is that you're, you're absolutely absolutely one hundred percent correct, man? Being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and I force folks, you know, in our gym and myself to be in those positions. Not only starting with exhausted, but exhausting but you know belly down with a rear naked choke almost fully locked in all right yeah. you know the technique um to survive this and to get out of this let's apply it now when you're fully exhausted but don't start to apply it yet let it start to sink in feel that anaconda around your neck mm-hmm. being uncomfortable now your training partner's going to back off a little bit so you don't pass out but let's work this technique let's get totally yeah comfortable being uncomfortable i i truly i believe in it 100 percent. you're absolutely yeah. uh correct man and that's you know that's just what we do and, and like you said some higher level belts and people don't like going with especially as you just rolling with you know white belts right i absolutely love it <laughs> love it and i love when we're having events out at the range or events at the school which involve weaponry and and we're going transitioning to the range later in the day i love rolling with people that are absolutely just raw because Mm -hmm. again being self-defense based you get to understand how people are going to react in a self-defense situation right of an art or technique right right where you're just going with Somebody, you know, in that oompa, you're, you're going to trap their arm if they're inside your gi or, or no gi. You're going to tra- trap the arm. You're going to roll this way. What they're going to do to counter that, they're going to put this this leg up. They're going to uh, base out with that foot, you know, and all, all that stuff. You know, that's it within the confines of the art, right? Right, you right. Somebody that's raw who is just going to flail around and forces you to apply your technique, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody that not right. confines of a box of your art is beautiful, and that's what white belts give you. White belts yeah. help you perfect your technique. 
You know, I never thought mm-hmm. about it that way. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, it's like, well, you know what? I don't know what to do. I'm just going to flail around or I'm just yeah. going to do this. And, and, and all of a sudden you find yourself outside the confines of rolling with somebody who's been in it a while, who might be a mm-hmm. higher, better, higher spot. Right. And now you're like, well, you, you, you think there's a second. Boy, a big country, there's a second where you think, yeah. hey, man, you, you, you did that wrong. You didn't do that right. Why? Because right. Right. Yeah. Right. But hold on. Right. There ain't no right or wrong in the street. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. right. They're just trying to survive, man. So I, I ask. Right. Yeah. I get more. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're rolling with new, new guys than I do. Yeah. Their experience. Yeah. Um, you mentioned I, I, it's it. So I'm sorry, boy, boy, go ahead. You mentioned earlier about, uh, you you also help train law enforcement. Um, how important do you think it is outside of the typical training that, that the departments will provide to their officers? How important do you think it is that they get into some sort of martial arts training outside of that capacity? 100% it should be the number one thing on the law enforcement departmental budget. Right. The item line should be training for their officers because no matter what academy they go to now in mm-hmm. the 21st century, no matter what college or certificate they've gotten their credentialing from, they're right. not teaching these guys real resistance. You right. get to understand handcuffing techniques through a passive person who's going to allow you to put them in this certain technique so you can check a box. Right. Right. Training real to life resistance should be number one on every law enforcement departmental budget line or Mm -hmm. number one, even if the department won't pay for it, their officers should care enough about their life, their family and their community to seek some sort of training and not all training is good training. You can't go through some, semi-contact point fighting training and think that's going to help you. I'm sorry. It's right, just, right. You need to get in. You need to get sweaty. You need to roll. You need to, you know, full contact, whatever it is. You know, it might not look good on paper, but damn it, it'll help you survive. So they Absolutely. should get some sort of training and they're not getting it these days and it hurts my heart to see it because when you put that badge on, you know, you sometimes think you're this superhuman. And people mm-hmm. see you with the badge and they think, you know, this guy has all the training in the world, know how to fight, this, that, and the other. Where 90 plus percent officers on U.S. soil right now with a badge have never been in a fight in their life. They don't yep. know how to They just yeah. have a badge. They don't know how to survive. They just have a badge. And that's the problem, man. They, they've never had the type of training that forced them to the point of stress that brings out of them what they would do in this survival mode. And like you were saying, right. when you have this type of training behind you, you have the type of confidence that says, you know what? I can handle this without a gun. I don't, yep. I don't, I don't need to resort to deadly force right now. This is not a deadly force encounter because I know what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So your training and right. officer's training can save lives simply by not having to resort all automatically to deadly force. Right. So absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's important for for every officer to know what they don't know 
and to yeah. fill those gaps accordingly. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the videos of officers getting into squabbles on the side of the road. And within the first 25 seconds, they're spent, right? Yeah. Dead, tired. Right. Um, you see a guy get up off the ground multiple times. They don't know how to restrain, keep them down. Uh, fortunately enough, Chris, uh, who's not with us today, he, he's law enforcement. Um, and, but he's trained jujitsu, right? And, uh, you can give me your opinion on this, but I do believe that judo and jujitsu are probably the best martial arts for law enforcement to know as far as restraint, um, you know, getting them to the ground, even wrestling. Uh, but to watch those videos, knowing that it would just take a little bit of time on a mat for them to be able to better handle that situation, protect their partner, protect themselves. Um, and, you know, like you said, not have to reach for the pistol or anything like that. I definitely think that every single, instead of defunding, you know, all these police departments, let's put that funding into training. You know, let's, let's benefit these small businesses, these, these schools, these jujitsu gyms, these judo clubs, these wrestling gyms, and just flood it with officers and give them the mat time that they need in order to, to be able to handle those situations. Yeah. And, and boy, I think you hit the nail 100%, man. I agree. You hit the nail on the head. And I do believe, uh, jujitsu and, and, and judo, you know, and, and again, I go back to true jujitsu. Okay. Mm-hmm. True jujitsu that is trained with strife, defending strife, and the application of strife. True jujitsu, um, mm-hmm. I believe, is, is number one, one hundred percent, man, that officers need because it goes in line with their training. And also, true jujitsu, the optics of a, a jujitsu technique, hold, submission, or what have you, cuffing technique, mm-hmm. the optics of it just looks like I'm giving somebody a hug. That's yep. Yep, <laughs> it sure does. Right. <laughs> yeah. Officers absolutely need some type of training. And yes, I think they should start with you guys because all of the officers that I've trained, and I'm, it's such a blessing that, you know, let, let, let's be real. I'm one of the only black dudes on the face of the planet that gets paid to beat up officers on a daily basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I say that and I laugh, but it, it's a humbling blessing that they would think enough about what God has given me to offer that they would come to me uh, for training. But here's the deal. They come with some, come with this false sense of security from their previous training. You know, mm-hmm. my niche when we talk about weaponry, my niche is weapon retention. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you're going to carry a gun for your work, for your livelihood, or for self-defense, you better know how to retain it. Right. Okay? If somebody like Big Country Boy or, or, or me wants it, you better know how to retain it. And Absolutely. In that fight, you better know how to access it as well if your life depends on it. So, you know, if we just take a round number of, let's say, 300 officers that I've trained this year, when it comes to the weapon retention portion, which is 100% of the training, how many weapons, guys, do you think I've taken out of the 300? I would say... Close to three hundred. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you half at at one hundred fifty. Okay, uh, three hundred. One hundred percent of them. Wow, 100%. man. Because 
and it doesn't matter locking holsters, thumb breaks, and all that. It, 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 it doesn't matter. People, officers especially, have to know how to retain their weapon. And that goes with civilian as well, concealed carry. Absolutely. 100% or my baby girl, she's taking weapons as well. But people just don't, people get in the mirror and they say, oh, I'm not printing, so I'm good. They walk around. They've never pressure tested their holster, their weapon, or themselves for right. that intention. Like mm-hmm. they, they YouTube stuff, cover here, go for your gun. No, I, no man. Yeah. That's <laughs> that stuff, man. And it yeah, that's right. Way for their gun to become our gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we got this thing, you guys, when you, when you come out or want to see or whatever, uh, I'll introduce you to the, the, the holster pole and all these different holsters and weapons in this pole. And there's, you know, a time frame in which you'll see all those weapons leave that pole. And yeah. your hand or my hand within a matter of seconds, no matter the holster. Wow. Um, and then we apply that to people. I, I, I do that on a daily basis. I take at least 30 minutes to an hour a day to practice taking weapons. Damn. So that you know, Man. You know that you know that you know how this weapon right. is going to come out um, so that you can give it to people to help them retain their weapons. Right, right. Man. That's so incredible, man. Um, okay, so one thing I want to clear up on air since we have uh, Larry on the show here and, and Larry, we'll give you a chance to shout out your gym where people can get more information before we wrap up the show. Well, if y'all want um, to rock, man, this is, this is how God got us, man. So if y'all want to rock, you can take as much time as y'all want. Cool. No, this is this has been incredible. Um, I, I do say, boy, I know we've had some people ask us like, what's with the red bandana? Oh yeah. So to <laughs> clarify, we did a past true true crime episode. Is it more will. more of a history more of a history lesson? Yeah, about the um, Battle of Blair Mountain in West Virginia that occurred with the coal miners and the coal mining industry. Mm. So the term redneck came from that revolt. Mm-hmm. So the revolt came from the coal miners revolting against the coal mining company and a real life battle took place in the hills of West Virginia. Um, and the way that the coal miners identified themselves and it wasn't white. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't just white. It was white, black. There was some, um, uh, Asian Americans up there that took place in this, the way they identified themselves is that they wore red bandanas. Right. So they were referred to as rednecks. Mm-hmm. So, so to our listeners out there, to clarify, the red bandanas were not blood. <laughs> we're just saying, we, you know, we're with the the original revolters the against the oppressive we, regime. Yeah. So, yeah, we so we decided we decided to to stop demonizing the term redneck, and and we're we wanted to reassociate it with the resistance, the you know the the, the people standing up for the things that they believe in that uh, and and fighting against things that they thought were wrong. So that's where the red bandana comes from. We're proud rednecks. <laughs> yeah, you know my my knife throwing company within 3D martial arts is called what? It's called Breadneck Blade. Yeah, uh, and, and people don't know what a breadneck is. I tell them that's a black redneck, baby. I'm the American breadneck. The original redneck. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Um, Larry, wrapping up the show here. Um, where can people find out more information about your gym if they're 
around your area? Where can where can they go? Where can they get in contact with you to maybe come to your gym and check it out? Yeah, um, it's 3D Martial Arts. That's three, the number three. D is in David. Martial Arts and Tactical Defense. You can find us on the web at 3DMATD.com. Um, we're located in North Texas, about an hour um, north of Dallas in Whitesboro, um, Texas, small town of Whitesboro, Texas. That's where 3D Martial Arts Tactical sort of Defense is located. Also, Alloy Arms, which is my firearms outdoor tactical range, uh, about five miles up the block from the school or up the street from the school. So, and on, you can find us on Facebook, uh, 3D Martial Arts Tactical Defense or the Bearded Black Cowboy, Instagram, the Bearded Black Cowboy. Everything is branded bearded, the Bearded Black Cowboy and 3D Martial Arts. Um, but we'd love to have any of your listeners, y'all come on out. Um, phone number is, you know, other than myself, I forget the number to the school because, you know, I just push a button. So, right. Number, <laughs> um, <laughs> but y'all can, y'all can reach us anytime at, you know, 469-964-1421, find out whatever information you want. Um, you know, 3DMATD.com, 3D Martial Arts and Tactical Defense. Well, we don't play rough. We play real, and I guarantee you, by the time you're done, you will be skilled at violence. Awesome. Yeah, if you're, Man, if you're in the it. area, even if you're not, go see Larry. Go see the Bearded Black Cowboy yeah. and uh, train. Train with yeah. him. See what he's got to offer. This has been an amazing interview. Uh, I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool, man. I love it. Um Larry, thanks again, man, for taking the time to talk to us tonight, not only about obviously martial arts and what you do at your gym, but um, the culture that we're involved in right now, not only as Americans, um, but just as human beings and um, the background that you have to bring us to the table, man. We we truly, again, appreciate your time and thank you so much for it. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Again, man, I I appreciate y'all. Big country, bro. I appreciate y'all so much, man, whatever I could do to, you know, elevate uh, y'all, escalate y'all gift and y'all calling, man, please don't hesitate, you know, behind the firewall uh, to let me know whatever, you know, God is giving y'all, whatever God gives me as a vehicle, a voice, a tool or a vehicle to elevate y'all. Uh, please don't hesitate, man. And let me just give a shout out to my lovely wife, uh, Tracy, and my daughter, baby girl, and, uh, and do. Um, and again, you know, cheers to my, my pops and, and my mom. We're bearing finally my dad is getting his military honors uh this Wednesday. So uh we'll give him his proper burial, man. But cheers to y'all. Love y'all brothers and thank y'all, man. I appreciate y'all. Awesome. Larry, thank you so much. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Larry, we'll say bye to you uh, after we hit re- um, stop on the recording here. But uh, man, that's it for this episode of Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies podcast. Um, incredible interview that we've had with Larry, the bearded black cowboy Stevenson. Um, check out his information. You have it on the show now, and we'll be sure to link it in the show notes uh, when this episode releases. So that's it for me, Big Country, one of your hosts, and boy. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.